Another episode of Firestarters. I have my friend here, Mary Calm, who is a published author, founder, and director of Uncommon Love Ministries. We're going to jump right into this because I know we've, we've already been talking for 30 minutes. <laughs> there's going to be so much gold here. You're going to want pen and paper, open your notes on your phone because there's going to be a lot of gold shared here today. I want us to go back to the beginning, Mary, and there may be a mm -hmm. few instances in your life where you felt this, but tell, tell us about that time that you first heard, heard the Lord calling you out. What was that like? What did you hear? What was he calling you towards? And what was your response? So I want to preface this by saying that, um, I grew up in a family, great Christian family, wonderful, at least on the exterior, but there was a lot going on in the interior that nobody really knew about. Uh, but in my family dynamics, I was taught from a very young age that it was better to be silent than to be heard. Because when I spoke up, things got worse. So fast forward until I was, oh gosh, what age was I? I had my two kids. So I was, it was probably in my late thirties, early forties. Um, I was in church and they sang um, this song about, oh, it was uh, The Voice of Truth by, not Mercy Me, who was it? I can't remember, but. Yeah, I can't remember who did that one. And then the sermon that day was on Gideon. And I don't know that I'd ever heard the story of Gideon before, mm -hmm. even though I was raised in the church and probably had, but didn't remember it. But our pastor was talking about how Gideon was pressing his grapes into wine in the cellar because he was afraid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then, you know, the story, the spirit or the angel of the Lord comes to him and calls him mighty warrior. And Gideon's like, yo, I am hiding away, pressing my grapes down here. I, you have got the wrong person. And um, he said, I'm the least of the least. And, um, in the midst of that service, I felt God calling me to speak, public speaking. And, you know, I'm an introvert. I was taught not to speak growing mm -hmm. up. Um, mm -hmm. I was always happy in the shadows. I had my own ministry, but it was more of a, you know, one-on-one -on -one type thing. And I'm like, oh, Lord, you got the wrong person. <laughs> I'm the least of the, oh, shoot. <laughs> And, you know, that was, uh, that was life changing for me. And I, I have gone back to that very often because, um, when you're in ministry, the battle's always raging at some level or another. Mm -hmm. And I can go back to that day and say, no, the enemy was the one that was trying to keep me quiet. It was God who was telling me that he gave me a voice to speak. And so that's what I do. I love that. So I'm hearing, I mean, there's so much, there had to be so much fear, not oh. just, not just fear because of the battle, <clears throat> but even just overcoming those environmental, like the way you were raised to just mm -hmm. be silent. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine the self-talk that you had probably going on when you did those first few times step out to speak. Tell us about that. Okay. Am I wrong? No. So <clears throat> I think it was the very first time 
So you have to understand my ministry was to, um, it was surrounding the abortion issue. So it was for women who were abortion minded and women who had had abortions Mm -hmm. and needed healing and to be loved on, you know, so many abortion ministries are more about the wrongness of abortion and, or at least they used to be, I'm talking back in the old days (laughs) because I've been around for a while, (laughs) but, um, so, and, and my experience with abortion was I was an accomplice to an abortion. I never had one. Um, but I, what happened was one of my best friends had gotten pregnant in a, you know, just a bad situation. She and her boyfriend had already broken up when she found out, found out she was pregnant. And, um, you know, I was so silenced by my growing up that I was afraid of offending my friend. So I encouraged her to when she would dream about having a baby, but when she talked about having the abortion, I couldn't say anything. Mm. And so when I became pregnant with my first child, God really brought that instance to, um, he brought me to reckoning because what I did, you know, people told me for years, that wasn't your fault. That was her, her decision and all that. And I'm like, that's not what God convicted me of. God convicted me of putting my friendship with my friend above the life of her child. Mm. So (laughs) fast forward to my very first speaking engagement. (laughs) I was in front of like, oh, 45, 50 women, all post-abortive. Okay. And I start sharing my story. And there's this moment where I realized, oh my gosh, I represent in each one of their lives, the person that didn't stand by them. And I just started bawling. (laughs) I could could barely get through it, (laughs) you know? (laughs) So it was, um, you know, on on my drive home that day, I was like, okay, I I still have some healing to do here. (laughs) But how amazing that you were so aware of your audience of who they were and serving them that you made that connection of who they were thinking about and what they were going through in their mind as they listened to you. And that's what a good speaker does. You know, Mm -hmm. it's not about you. Your attention is completely on who you're speaking. Right. Right. Your first ministry was related to abortion. Mm -hmm. You still have that ministry. So actually my first two, so my first one was, uh, it was when the internet was new. So it was 1996 and it was like an online pregnancy center type of thing. So I, I had articles on there about the, the reality of abortion, you know, for those who are abortion minded, you know, the potential consequences, probable consequences. Um, cause God had really given me a behind the scenes view, you know, of what it was like with my friend. So Um, And then for the women who had had abortions and regretted them and needed healing. So, and I have to tell you this too. So I had served briefly in a ministry in the late eighties. And then I had my kids and I stayed, it was a stay at home mom. And I was praying, Lord, why do I, I want to do something with my time. I need to, I need to be, you know, 
effective and doing something more than just taking care of my kids. Not that that wasn't enough, but I wanted to be able to stay home with them. Anyway, so I had written this article on my healing journey from being that accomplice uh, to that abortion. And my husband at the time had posted that on his website because he was very keyed in to all that internet stuff already. And I got an email from a woman in response to that article. And she said, Mary, I've had an abortion. And she said, there's nowhere for me to turn. Yeah. She said, the people who are, are against abortion don't want to hear that I've had one. And the people that are pro-abortion don't want to hear that I'm sorry for it. Mm. And I will never forget that moment because it was like the heavens opened up <laughs> and this light, <laughs> you know, and it was like, oh my gosh, Lord, this is what you want me to do. Mm -hmm. I can, I can love on these women and give them a safe place. So my first ministry was called Safe Haven Ministries. And, um, you know, I, uh, I cut my teeth, my ministry teeth on that, that ministry, but, um, I did it for four years and because it was online, it was a 24 seven kind of thing. And I had women who were addicted to all kinds of stuff, you know, um, alcohol, drugs, you know, all that kind of stuff. They were cutting, they were suicidal, uh, they were depressed, you know, um, just all those things, all the symptoms of post-abortion stress, you know, and, um, even when we went on vacation, I was there, you know, answering, responding to people. We had a, um, chat room, we had a message board, you know, all that kind of stuff. So after about four years, I'm like, I need a break. So I, for the summer, I asked one of my volunteers, very godly, amazing, wonderful friend. She's still a friend now, but um, <clears throat> I said, would you take over the ministry for me this summer? And she said, you know, let me pray about it. Obviously she did. Anyway, when it was time for me to come back, I said, I'm not coming back. I'm not coming back. Would you like to take this over? <laughs> so she did. And she ran it for years I, until I can't even remember what year it was, but and then about three years later, God started calling me back into that ministry. And I was like, no, 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 I don't want to go back to Nineveh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because it was, I mean, I was sitting in my bed one day, just bawling my eyes out, you know, in the middle of the day. And my husband comes in, he says, what is wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't want to go back to Nineveh. <laughs> you know? I'm in a fish, so you don't. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> so it took about eight months and uh, God finally got through to me. I'm like, okay, fine. If you want me to come back to this ministry, you need to open a door for me at my church. And uh, so I went to one of the pastors or one of the deacons, actually, who was my small group leader. And I said, told him about, the, you know, my calling and everything. And he said, you need to speak to so-and-so. Like, okay, Lord, I, I know what he's going to say. I'm going to get the you know, good on you. That's great. Go and have a wonderful ministry. We're praying for you, you know, kind of thing. And I walked in and I sat down and I started talking to him and he said, Mary, I have lots of experience in that area. And he said, we need to do something together. Wow. Great. 
God said, you know, you wanted to do her, Mary, here it is, <laughs> you know. Wow. So at that point, I started in our midst ministries because we have all these hurting women and families. Abortion hurts everybody, not just the woman who has the abortion. It hurts the kids. It hurts the husband. It hurts the grandparents. You know, it just, it's like ripples on a pond. It affects everybody that it touches. And, um, so it was called in our midst ministries because we have all these people in our midst that are hurting from this and they have no safe place to turn to. Mm. And so I started directing my efforts toward the church and helping them, uh, create ministries that were tailored to their congregations for abortion recovery. And yeah, so I did that for about 10 years. That is such a needed, needed, ongoing, needed ministry. Mm -hmm. So many people. I mean, everyone, everyone knows someone, if not multiple people who are. Yeah. When I calculated the, the demographics one time, you know, if it touches everybody, you know, in the family system, it actually ended up being more people than there are in the country. (laughs) I can imagine so. Because people are affected by multiple, you know, if you have three abortions in the family from, you know, sisters say they all have abortions, then, I mean, look at how that ripples out. So it's still a huge issue. And, you know, even though, I mean, I'm so proud of the, the people that are still working in that field of ministry because they have made a lot of progress in that field. And, um, I, it just, it thrills my heart. You know, when Roe v. Wade was overturned, it's like, oh, I cannot believe I got to see that. Yes. You know? Yes. To, to be alive when it happened. Mm-hmm. I've, I've heard it said before that we are most equipped to help the person that we once were. And that's where that ministry came out for you mm-hmm. is your experience. Yeah. And, and then even now the ministry you have now uncommon love, mm-hmm. tell us how, How did that ministry start? When were you called? Tell us that story. (laughs) So, oh gosh. Um, So in 2013, my husband and I, after 24 years of marriage, pulled the plug. Not my choice, but it, you know, just happened. Anyway, at that point I stepped away from ministry because I had a lot of healing to do. And, um, Three years later, I mean, I had lost both my parents, moved like three times, two or three times. Just you imagine it. I had a really serious car accident, all this kind of stuff. And um, in the midst of my healing, trying to heal. And in 2016, my 21-year-old daughter at the time told me that she was bisexual. And... Uh, I did not see that coming and, um, you know, it really knocked my feet out from under me. I mean, for probably six weeks, I was just in a fog. I was, I was just stunned. And, um, when that (laughs) kind of fell away, then I just hit the floor on my knees and I'm like, God, I cannot do this by myself. I mean, I've been in ministry for almost 20 years at that point. And, 
I know the word. I know God. I've walked with him. He's been amazing to me and healed me in so many areas. And yet I knew that I couldn't do this on my own. So I started looking for help, you know, in my area. It took a week just to get into my pastor. Not even my pastor. He was the church counselor. Wow. Uh, no pastors called me, <laughs> you know. And by then I kind of had my feet up under me. At least I was standing upright. But, um, you know, I started realizing there wasn't a lot out there for parents. You know, there are a number of ministries for people wanting to come out of that lifestyle, but there just wasn't much for parents. So um, actually what happened was I just started learning about the issue in every way that I could so I could know how to interact with my daughter and not not compromise my faith, but not, um, you know, blow up our relationship either, which I did <laughs> in full honesty, you know, it's like uh, a sermon and I'm like, Ooh, I need to do that. And so I, you know, wrote out my, this letter to my daughter telling her, this is not who God made you to be. This is not who you are. This is, uh, sin, I think I probably said, but I read it to her so she could see my heart, you know, and she was so angry with me. I mean, just, and my daughter knows me. She knew I was going to stand in that place, you know? So after that, it's like, oh my gosh, I don't know how to do this. I don't even know how to have a, an honest relationship with my daughter because I can never affirm this. I can never celebrate this in her life, you know? So that's when I really started diving deep. And so I started changing how I interacted with her. And she said to me one day, she said, you know, mom, I think you could help other Christian parents. I'm like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and wow. she, to be fair, she doesn't remember saying that now. And <laughs> secondly, I don't think she understood fully where I was coming from, which is right. part of what I love about the compassion without compromise viewpoint is I could show compassion for her and love on her and be there for her and still be her mom and yet not affirm her lifestyle. Mm -hmm. uh, so one thing led to another and I decided, you know, I'm going to start a small group in my living room because I've done small groups piece of cake, you know, this, not necessarily on this topic, but I know how to do the actual small group thing. So I put together some materials on how I wanted this group to look and how it functional look and that kind of stuff. And I shared it with a friend of mine who also had a lesbian daughter and unbeknownst to me at the time, she took it to her boss, who was the care pastor at her church. Oh, <laughs> and she called me later that day and she said, um, my boss is the care pastor here and he wants to bring this ministry here. He said, would you, she said, would you drive up here and lead this class here? And I'm like, I'll pray about it. You know, and I had told God already, you know, you open the doors, I'm going to walk through them. Right. Right. I'm like, I guess this is an open door, isn't it? <laughs> you know? So that was how this ministry got started. It was, again, it was out of my own experience, out of my own pain. And I was just six months into this journey when I started that group and I had 12 other parents in the room that were hurting and um, 
you know, all at different stages of grief and uh, some of them were affirming, <laughs> some of them were in shell shock. I mean, so uh, it was trial by fire, but it was that summer I wrote the book because I knew we needed a biblical foundation for the group and the best way to do that is to put it in a book. So that's how my book came to be. Yes. Show, hold up your book. I love, I love the cover of the book. I'm calling. Yes. Yes. God's heart for Christian parents of gay kids. Mm -hmm. so it's a Bible study. So <clears throat> it's, it's uh, primarily about us as parents, you know, it's about where God stands on this, this issue and how he loves this community and he loves the parents that are dealing with it. Um, it talks about where those uh, inclinations come from, you know, and they're all wounds. They're all wounds. Yes. Um, and then it's about how do we as parents navigate this journey with our kids in a world that celebrates what breaks our hearts. Mm -hmm. So, so again, your experience mm -hmm. qualifies you, but I love how you, in this moment of, I mean, heartbreak, mm -hmm. you, it's just who God has made you to be, Mary, you gather your resources and not mm -hmm. only do you gather your resources and have a vision for what this can look like in your life to create healing, healing and navigate, but you open the door to offer it to others. You know that there are others based on your experience. I think sometimes it's the biggest thing. We have our experience and we think we're the only one. Mm -hmm. Or even if we have a heart to help others, we think, well, I'm not qualified. I can't do it. I'm too mm -hmm. broken. And I don't know where I'm going. This just happened in my life. Mm -hmm. But it's those very things. I mean, it's Moses. I think of Moses, you know, he committed murder. He'd run away. Yep. He's broken. He's not mm -hmm. the man on paper. Mm -hmm. He is not the man. But God says, everything in your life has made you exactly the man mm -hmm. that I need. And I have people who will be with you. You mm -hmm. had that pastor in your second ministry um, yeah. come alongside you. So he always has someone. What have been the challenges, especially I want to know in regards to your family, because you mentioned your husband, you mentioned in, in your first two ministries, the time that you put towards it. I know mm -hmm. all ministry, it takes all of us, right? I mean, yeah. it takes all of who we are yeah. and it impacts our family. And your daughter, I'm sure knows about your ministry, which yes. is completely, you know, not affirming her lifestyle. She's like my, my mom's <laughs> entire life is built right now on the fact and I wrote that the book on it. He's <laughs> written the book on it. So I, I would love to know some of the initial challenges or the challenges you've experienced throughout starting these ministries, because stepping out into this, I mean, you, Mary, you could have been a stay at home mom living quietly, being just the nice lady next door with the kids, right? Like so many of us, but you did not, you answered his call. So tell us about the challenges. Uh, the challenges have been many. I mean, um, so for example, when, when I first was invited to that church, of course I knew I had to, I had to talk to my daughter about it. And, and honestly, that's one of the, um, requirements I have for any of my facilitators that want to facilitate this Bible study under uncommon love. I mean, anybody can lead it with this book, but if they want to work, you know, with me and, and under the uncommon love 
banner, then they have to talk to their kids first and let them know this is what I'm doing. And, you know, the way that I, I instruct them on how to have that conversation is what we're trying to do is to, to help repair the breach between kids and their parents when they disagree on these issues. And um, it's to, to preserve their relationships or repair them, you know, and when you say that, how is anybody going to say no, you know, but when I first shared with my daughter, you know, I've been invited to do this at our church, you know, in the town where you graduated from high school. And uh, she said, I don't care what you do, mom. And I said, well, I'm sure to run into people that know you. She said, I don't care who knows. And I'm like, okay. And then when I wrote the book, I'm like, okay, I've written this book, babe. <laughs> I said, are, are you okay if it's published? And she said, uh, I don't care what you do. She said, but can I read it? And I said, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> we have a very open relationship, I will say, you know, but a funny story too, about four years later, she was, we were in the process of moving out of state. And so her, her rent her her apartment lease was up. So she moved in with me for a couple of months and she was working from home. So she was using my office and my books are right there. And she picked one up. She thought, you know, it's been a few years. I can look at this now. And a couple days later, we were out running errands and went to dinner. And I said, you know, babe, if something's bothering you, you just need to talk to me. You know, let's, I'm here for you. If anything's troubling you or, because I could tell by her demeanor, she was just in a bad mood that day. And so I said that to her, not knowing that I was the source of her anger. <laughs> so we're sitting in this restaurant and she is blasting me. I mean, how dare you? How could you, you know, just, and I'm like, this is interesting, you know, but what was really amazing in that challenge, speaking of challenges, is that God just gave me, he has given me this confidence in his word, in who he is, in his calling on my life, his calling on my daughter's life. Mm -hmm. She has a calling on her life. She belongs to him. She does not belong to herself, as we right. all who have trusted Christ for our salvation. Um, so I just sat there and I took it. And she finally took a breath. And I said, you know, babe, I said, there are some people in your community that would say, I have to change who I am in order to make you happy. And I said, that is never okay. One person should never have to change who they are. So somebody else is happy. Yes. And she just kind of looked down and she was scowling. I said, you know, you don't have a right to be angry about it, with me about this. And she said, I'm just angry at the situation. <laughs> I'm like, okay, Lord, that was a win, you know, because I walked away unscathed. You know, she eviscerated me in public and I walked away unscathed because of the confidence that God has given me. And that's the confidence that I try to pass on to the parents that I minister to because, you know, we're so afraid of being called homophobic or, you know, whatever and being castigated. I've been called out in a Christian um, Bible study as being a homophobe. 
and it was kind of an out-of-body experience because I wasn't expecting it uh, right. my friend... with my daughter and I love her I'm not yes. scared of her at all right you know it's like I, I tell people I love this community you know I love my daughter she is not a bad person she's a hurting person mm-hmm. and it's not loving to not tell people the truth right you know we have to you know, I always, I tell parents because this is what I was taught when I first was on this journey, have the conversation with your child once. This is where I stand. You know, me, you know, I've raised you on biblical principles. This is who I am. This is my identity at the same time, especially if they're an adult, you're an adult, you get to make your choices and I get to make my choices. Mm-hmm. Um, I lost my train of thought, but you know, we, we don't have to change who we are. Either one of us, I'm going to love you right where you are. And I hope you will do the same. Yes. Yes. You know? So that's what we really try to teach these parents is you don't have to kowtow to, to anything that the world says, because we have the God of the universe. We're on his side. We're on the right side of this. Right. But it's confidence with humility and it's confidence with compassion. Yes. That's what the world misses, you know? Right. That is so good. That is so good. And I love that you have that peace of God, which transcends all understanding and guards your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. That's exactly one of my favorite verses. (laughs) Me too. And I, because I, I, I am, I cling to it sometimes. Yes. So, Challenges and then sacrifices. I'm curious about some of the sacrifices you've had to make along the way as you've answered his call. Well, I've lost friends over it. I've, I've left churches over it. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I have been called out as a homophobe and, you know, those kinds of things. Um, Financially, I, I'm trusting the Lord. You know, I, I work part-time for my church and my former husband is helping out some because he, he says, you're the mother of my children. And, you know, um, so he wants to help, Wow. but you know, God has really taken care of me. And, you know, this is, this is what I really have to keep going back to is that God is my husband. He is my provider. He is my protector. Um, you know, and he's called me to this and I'm in this for as long as he wants me in this. And, you know, I, I have a vision of someday my daughter working alongside me in this ministry and sharing her testimony, you know, um, of how he redeemed her out of it, this and, and how we did navigate this really difficult. I mean, and that's the other thing I, my daughter and I have a, a, good relationship. It's not without hardships and heartbreaks, you know, but she knows that she can depend on me anytime. She knows I'm always here for her. And even though I don't agree with her lifestyle and, you know, she says she's a lesbian now, not bisexual. And, um, you know, it, that's, it's hard. It is hard. You know, but God continually gives me um, 
just confirmations and you know he blesses me it's like the the last group that i led it was online um gosh was it last spring no it was last fall um the most amazing group of women the most beautiful moms and mom hearts and um you know, it's like, I have so many friends because of this ministry, because we have gone, we have locked arms and marched forward in what is, you know, anathema to the, the world. Yes. I mean, we are repulsive to the world. Mm -hmm. but we have created a safe community that, um, you know, it transcends what the world is saying, what the world is doing and uh, lots of sweet relationships have come out of this so god is good at the end of the day he is and he set you up as a light on the hill mm -hmm. um, for others to see i love that i think all of us have this i believe that god puts calling in everybody's hearts I absolutely believe and i and i also have have come to believe that that calling is most directly related to our life experiences. Absolutely. Yes. Not that he created them to happen, but that he allowed them to happen, knowing that he would work through mm -hmm. them and, and most especially work through them for the goodness of others and for his glory. Mm -hmm. If we would choose to answer his call. Absolutely. And so go ahead. well, what I was going to say is, you know, it's not just our experiences that we've been through. It's, the experiences that we've been through and the healing that he has done in our lives, you know, and you mentioned something earlier I was going to speak to about, you know, when my daughter first came out, one of the, the first thing I thought of was what did I do to mess up my, my daughter? <laughs> you know, yeah. it's all my fault. You know, it's, I'm a mom. And then the second thing was how can I ever do ministry again? I'm not qualified with this, you know, and, uh, of course that was just the enemy. Um, but because we all, I mean, like you said, Moses had a murder in his background, you know, thank God that he gave us models of, you know, people in scripture, even the giants that were, you know, David, David fell, you know, yeah. yes, many times, <sighs> many times. And so it's not about being perfect. It's about recognizing what you've done, how you've messed up, you know, repenting, reconciling with God in those areas and, um, letting him heal those broken places. And, um, he does bring beauty from ashes. That's one of my favorite ones too. Isaiah 61, three, you know, and out of the ashes of my life, he has brought so much beauty and it has very little to do with me. I am just the vessel. That's how I view myself. I am a vessel, like my water glass, you know, I'm the vessel. He, he fills it up. He does the work. I just show up, you know, as clean as possible because <laughs> we want to, you know, drink from a clean glass. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, it comes, I mean, it's Romans eight twenty eight. He can bring good from the worst that we have to offer when we surrender that to him. Yes. And when we walk through whatever healing he has for us, then, you know, if I was still completely broken, I wouldn't be able to do this, you know? And one of the, you spoke of challenges, one of the other challenges, I'm a mercy person. I'm a compassion person. So 
you know, even especially in my first ministry, and that's why I burned out so fast, was I took everybody's pain on mm -hmm. myself and I carried it. So, you know, I had to learn to carry their pain when I'm with them and then to hand it to God when they're, they're not with me, you know, that's it's good. like, okay, I, I can't carry everybody's pain. But um, you spoke to this too, that everything that I learned and went through in my previous ministries set me up for this ministry. There's so many similarities between homosexuality, transgenderism, all that stuff, and the way society views it and handles it mm -hmm. as it was with the abortion issue. Yes, they you know? do. They do run politically, yes. culturally, very, yeah. And even in the church, churches are silent still very, very much on abortion and not so much on the wrongness of abortion, but on the, the populations that's been wounded. You know, it's like, how do you, churches, I think still by and large, don't know how to call out sin while still loving the sinner and offering yeah. them hope and redemption. Why is that so hard? I don't understand, but. Yeah. That is why our friend's ministry, Andrea Crum with Genuine Family Ministries, yes. and her curriculum, Truth and Love is so, so good. It's so needed. I love her. I, I, I do too, I do too. All these fire starters. And, <laughs> and so that, I keep coming back though to, here you are, stay at home mom. Mm -hmm. There is, there is such a pull and I'll speak for me to stay in our comfort, mm -hmm. to, to stay, to shrink back, to get distracted. I mean, when you're raising kids, life is busy and there's a ton of little things mm -hmm. that need to get done, have to get done. Yep. It is so easy and can almost become our default to say, well, I don't have the time and I'm not qualified. And of course, in our world, the, the qualifications is be perfect beyond, you know, the other side of this or having never touched it. Mm -hmm. And, and here you were busy as ever mm -hmm. with a habit of shrinking back. Mm -hmm. And, and you chose to answer that call. Yeah. There has there been times where you doubted the path that you've chosen or your decision to answer? No. no. Because, you know, when God calls you to something um, and you step into that thing, he confirms in so many ways that this is, you know, all the open doors. I mean, there were plenty of shut doors too, you know, and, and I've kind of learned that I'll walk through the open doors and some of the closed doors I'll knock for a while, but <laughs> I have my limit, you know, I'm not going <laughs> to waste my time on the closed doors. I'm going to keep looking for those open doors, but yeah, I mean, it's um, the, you know, the doubts come throughout but not the doubts that I'm on the right path. You know what I'm saying? It's yeah. like the enemy is always there. It's like last night I had um, the first meeting of a new group and I was just not on my game. <laughs> you know, it, it just, I am, I am human, you know, and um, I just was not, I did not feel like I was on my game and I kind of beat myself up for that a little bit, you know, and, um, 
it's, I'm not going to question my calling. I'm just going to question why was I not on my game, mm. you know, and what precipitated that. So, so yeah, I don't, I don't question my calling. I question, I mean, I always have questions like right now I'm questioning is my job taking me away from the ministry calling that God has placed on my life. Um, and what do I do about that? I love my job. I love my, the people that I work with and, the you know, being able to support the pastors in my church. And, um, I, it's, those are the questions, but not my calling. This is my calling. So. I love that. I thought, I, I assume that would be your answer, but I, what I, what I want our listeners to hear, and I think you just touched on it is, um, it's not going to be a perfect road, like smooth sailing. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be without challenges and sacrifices. It's not going to be without confusion sometimes, or these moments of where you're at a crossroads, like which direction do you want me to go Lord? Mm -hmm. But it is good. It is still good when he's with you. I would choose as as challenging as this path has been for me, leaving teaching after 20 years Mm -hmm. and taking the risk and, and doing Mm -hmm. what my parents said, don't do. Um, I wouldn't go back. Right. I would not go back because I wouldn't be in alignment with who he's called me to be. And yeah. that weighs on you. It sits on you when you know you're mm-hmm. not stepping into who he's called you to be. And there's only so much running. There's only so much Netflix you can watch <laughs> you know? um, or alcohol you can drink or whatever <laughs> it is. You know, mm-hmm. thank goodness I, I don't have that. But I mean, we all have our coping skills when we're trying to run from the voice of God. Yeah. And, um, but that weighs more than the journey to follow his calling. I'm curious, what advice would you give to somebody? If you could go back in time, Mm -hmm. 2013 Mm -hmm. to you, what would you say to your former self? How would you encourage her? Well, I felt really, um, during those, those first few years after my divorce, I felt like I was, um, like I should have been out working, you know, I I had maintenance at the time and, and it was sufficient to pay for my monthly expenses. So, so I made the choice to stay home and heal and to work on myself and to, cause I was really, really, really broken after that uh, divorce. And, um, so I, I beat myself up for being lazy, you know, and, and not working and, but I was working. And, you know, when I, when I look back, it's like, you know, during our separation in the, the first year of our divorce, it took a year that year. Um, I got, I went back and got my degree Mm-hmm. Um, in psychology, which that and $5 will get you a cup of coffee, <laughs> but <Right? laughs> you know, cause it's a bachelor's it's, you know, but yep. I went back to college, which really literally saved my life. I think during those, during that time. But, um, so for three years I was in college or two years. And then after the divorce, I, um, I got my coaching certification. So I'm a certified professional life coach. And I wrote the book and started this ministry. So it's like, 
you know, in the last 10 years, I have not worked much in the world in traditional mm -hmm. jobs, but I've accomplished a lot, you know, but what I would say to myself is stop beating yourself up. You're right where God wants you to be. Mm. And, um, he orders our paths and he directs our paths when we are pressing into him. And boy, you know, when you're healing, the only way to heal is to press into him. Yes. And to depend on him and let him strip away all the stuff that got you wounded in the first place, you know? So, um, yeah, I would, I would say you should have been gentler with yourself <laughs> during those years. Um, but he's, he's been so good and so faithful and I don't regret any of the, the ministry steps I've, I've taken. I mean, I was sharing with my son this morning that, um, you know, we we're talking about how to hear from, hear the voice of God. And when we think we've heard and it still goes horribly wrong. And I had one of those, you know, and it was kind of big. I opened an abortion recovery center in the town that I lived in, you know, because I wanted to provide more support for those women and families. And it, it failed, you know, but I had, I had sought God and I had talked to my husband. He's like, yeah, go for it. And I'm like, okay, that was confirmation. <laughs> and not that it was a mistake, but you know, sometimes our, even our failures, I mean, I say failure is a wonderful teacher, you yes. know? Um, so it's all good. It's all good. It played a part somehow. You learned from that, right? You don't, you either, you either succeed or you learn is really the two options, right? Well, and you know, if nothing else, I raised awareness in my community. I mean, I had a bus sign and, you know, I would, they did an article on me in the paper and interview in our local town. And so I raised awareness if nothing else, Absolutely. you know, so who knows? Um, but it's, it's a wobbly walk is what I call it. I like you know? that. <laughs> it looks a little bit like a drunken stupor sometimes. <laughs> but doesn't that keep us so tethered to humble. Christ? And yeah. humble. Yes, and humble. Mary, I have to ask you this. How much of your healing has come through your service? Oh, gosh. I would say I'm in a continual state of healing mm -hmm. um, because, you know, I talked about stripping away, having God strip away all those things that got us wounded in the first place. Absolutely. You know, I, whenever God uses you to impact somebody else's life, it has to, it has to be beneficial to our souls. Mm. And for me, it is, you know, I was a Gideon. I am a Gideon. You know, I was the least of the least. And um, I'm just little Mary, <laughs> you know, but I get to impact lives for Christ and families. And, you know, I, it, one of the ladies said last night in my group, she said, Mary, I just want to be like you and, and be thankful that God brought this to me, you know, this, this situation in my life. And I'm like, well, I wouldn't go that far. 
you know, and I always say, I never in a million years would have chosen this ministry, mm. but, um, neither would have Moses. I'm thankful that God does take the ashes of our lives and turn them into something beautiful mm. and, and getting to see, you know, when, when moms come in that first night, moms and dads, cause I do couples too, and men will come into the group, but that first night, there are a lot of tears and pain and heartache. And by chapter 10, they are laughing and they're confident and they're equipped, you know, and there's a real transformation. And I even said to them last night, I said, y'all remember how you feel tonight because in 10 weeks, you're going to feel different. And that transformation is so amazing to see. I get to sit on the front row and see God change other people's life. He does it. I don't do it. It's not about me. It's not even about the book. It's about what he does in their lives when they surrender to him. And mm. when they have those conversations with others that are safe. So I think about the void that would be here if you weren't willing to answer his call, just the life, the goodness of others in his glory. It's that ignites me. That inspires me. That's <laughs> the purpose of this podcast to hear. Yes. <laughs> yes. And so whatever is, you know, I know that I say this all the time. There is a mama listening right now, washing dishes, folding clothes, what have you, mm -hmm. maybe shaving her legs in the bathtub because people <laughs> and she's got one earbud in and mm -hmm. In this moment, she's saying, I can be a Mary. I feel like a Gideon. I feel like a Gideon mm -hmm. and small and, and not qualified, but there Weird. is this desire. This, this, it, there is this pull inside of me. And I would, I would encourage what our good friend, Andrea Crum said to me is what's the first step. What's yep. the first step he's, he's calling you to. You don't have to worry about the results or transformation or writing a book, but what is that very next step and go be about that. Go be about that next step, Mary. Mm. You know, that is one of my favorite analogies to use. You know, when Joshua had just taken over from Moses, his very first test was the Jordan river crossing the Jordan river at flood stage. Yeah. And what did he tell the priests? You know, God said they need to step into the flood. They need to step into the river and then I will part the water. Mm. So it's taking that first step, even though it looks like you're stepping into peril, <laughs> you're stepping into water a river at flood stage. But man, when we take that first step then mm -hmm. he's like, all right, let's go. That is very good. That is, I just got chills on that. That is such Me a good point. I've forgotten that it was just such a bad situation. And to think I've, I've been by, I've been in the Jordan river to think that they had to put their feet in it. I mean, they knew and Jewish people, by the way, don't love water on, on the whole. That's what I learned right. from my, uh, the archeologist mm -hmm. who is a, a Jewish archeologist in Israel. Mm -hmm. He's like, they're not, we're not big water people. Yeah being asked to step into the water. That's so good. Mm. Well, and they were carrying the ark. You I know. know they couldn't touch. They couldn't, <laughs> like, that's right. I'd be like, all right, I've got the pole. I'm not, 
Uh-huh. Don't fall over. Don't touch it with your elbow. Don't be wobbly. It's a wobbly yes. walk. Yes. But the Lord, um, he was there and he studied them. Mm-hmm. He made a way. Where can people find you, Mary? Because I know they're going to want to find you. So I'm on Facebook. If you look up uh, Uncommon Love, um, I think it says Uncommon Love online, but you'll be able to find it. It's It's got a tree. It's, I love our logo because it's this green tree with the branches in the middle are LGBTQ colors, rainbow colors. But um, also our website is, uh, it's uncommonlove.online. Very easy. So we're there. The book is on Amazon. And again, it's Uncommon Love, God's Heart for Christian Parents of Gay Kids by Mary Calm. Uh, you can get it at Barnes and Noble, Amazon, anywhere really. Um, and I recommend it to anybody who has an LGBTQ identifying child or grandchild, or, you know, even if you're a friend of somebody with that situation in their family, you can support them if you take the time to do this study. And it is a study. I mean, you can just read it as a book if you want to, but, um, it's good stuff. And I'd say that in all humility, because I look at it sometimes I'm like, did I write that? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so God, God is good, you know, and he, he does direct our paths. So, mm. and well, I have I a podcast too. Mine's on Spotify and it's called love notes. Okay. So love notes, and I'll put all of this in the show notes, love notes, uncommon love ministries, the book, all of it. Don't worry, friends. We're going to set you up. You'll have all the links so that you can go find her. Thank you for today. Thank you for being a fire starter and igniting us and answering God's call. Um, well, thank you for the invitation. Absolutely. We need to, we need to do this again in, in step four, because I have a feeling number one, there's more books yeah. and your ministry is just going to grow. Yeah. Feeling. As the Lord wills.